I, I want to do something a little more pragmatic. I want to talk a little bit about altar working. Uh, Brother Healy and I were talking about this. Uh, I was invited to do it. Thank you so much for that invitation. I, I love my church. Uh, I wish I could tell you everything that's ever happened to me. I met my baby doll here. Uh, my son prayed through in the prayer room back there. Uh, my mom was healed of tangled blood vessels in her brain leaking that was going to cause an aneurysm right there. Uh, I just, I have so many stories I wish I could tell. Uh, but Sister Butler, I better go on. I, I, I just love the work of the church. Uh, I want to I do a little bit. Uh, they, they have some slides back there for me, I think. If you'll just push me through the slides, what I what I uh, plan to do, if you're interested, I can make these slides available. I wanted to just walk through a little bit of altar working uh, to kind of maybe how many of you say, man, I struggle a little bit with that. Uh, or maybe how many of you can say, I remember the first time I prayed with someone, they got the Holy Ghost. OK, and then how many of you say, well, I remember being with other people and praying with them and they got the Holy Ghost. OK, so what I want to do is maybe take away some of the fear behind that. And uh, empower you to kind of uh, operate with uh, some, uh, what I'm going to call authority, which is that biblical understanding uh, that comes with confidence for the word of God. All right, so I'll start with a great little passage that I love. Paul tells his son in the gospel, Timothy, but watch thou, uh, thou in all things endure afflictions, do the work of a, what? An evangelist. Um, and he says, make full proof of thy ministry. So I, I just want to point out a few things. First of all, the apostle Paul is telling Timothy, you're already equipped to do the work of an evangelist. And by the way, uh, that was captured in scripture so that we could read it ourselves and understand the same thing. So I'll try to be kind. I do believe in the, the role of an evangelist, the calling of, of an evangelist, Sister Katie, but we don't need, I'm sorry, Sister Collins, but we don't need somebody to bring revival in a suitcase to our ministry. Uh, what usually happens is you've done a whole lot of work in the lives and hearts of uh, children. And as they're prepared, then man, Brother Henderson or myself, we get to come in and talk and preach a little bit and they get the Holy Ghost and then we get all the kudos. It's like, no, it's the, it's the work that you guys are doing uh, that is preparing them. And you, you don't need a person to bring revival. They can help contribute to the revival that the Lord is already pouring out on our church. So let me just uh, say it this way. Uh, give me that next slide. Effectiveness is tied to preparation. Now, we know that, right? Uh, we know that everything we have to do is uh, we have to prepare for if we're going to succeed. And uh, per personal uh, preparation is vital to effectiveness. And we could talk about that in detail. I was just urge to illustrate. Uh, I'll just kind of go bare bones today. But altar working is no different. That means that you have to prepare yourself before Sunday. Uh, what, what you got to do as an altar worker, if you're going to be a spiritual person engaged in the work of the Lord and pastors already dealt with some of this, so I don't have to deal with this in detail. Let me just give you eight areas of preparation we can go through uh, quickly. The first one is uh, called faithfulness. Um, uh, and that means faithfulness and fellowship. And what I'm going to be more concretely on is fellowship and, and finances. Brother Healy, that means if I'm going to be used by the Lord, I have to be faithful myself. But I cannot lead someone to a place I've never been before, right? And to just show up and think that I'm going to be on Sunday and maybe I've, I've slacked off a little bit. I know there are no excuses to miss churches. There are reasons sometimes, sickness, things like that. Uh, but you got to just show up and do the work of fellowship. Forsake not the assemblies of yourselves together, as many would in the last days, but gather even the 
more so as you see that day approaching. And, and that also means uh, in finances. Uh, can I be really strong? I mean, this is an in-house conversation. So, uh, 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 Sister Tammy, I, I think, Sister Wright, I think I can get away with this. Hallelujah. Uh, I, I think it's like you can't rob God and expect him to bless you in altar work. So if you're not tithing, like Brother Kilman, that's Old Testament. There's so much garbage theology online. I'm trying to behave. But it's like when Paul says, he says, like the Levi was paid in the Old Testament in like manner. Oh, look at that in Corinthians. He just applied tithing in the New Testament, the Levitical tithe. It's the finance ministry, Sister Collins. Turn to your neighbor and say, we got to pay Brother Carson. If we don't, we ain't going to have a pastor, you know. Hallelujah, because a man that preaches the gospel should live by the gospel. And so that means if I'm not faithful in my giving, in that spiritual work, that's indicative of a value system that's kind of gone astray. And then the second thing I will say to that is accountability to leadership. And that means if, if you're trying to run your own kind of mini altar call in opposition to what's going on in the pulpit, uh, uh, the, God's not going to bless that. Or to say it another way, the blessings of God don't flow sideways. The Bible says it this way. The head of, the head of uh, Christ is who? How many know that passage? The head of Christ is God. We're like, oh, that's two somethings, Brother Kimmon. I don't have time for a oneness lesson. Uh, we do have a problem with that with our Trinitarian friends, Sister Butler, because they're not co-equal, are they? They're not side by side. The head of the perfect man was Christ. Or the head of the perfect man, Jesus, rather, was God. Jesus said, the, the son can do nothing of himself. Only what he sees the father do. He doesn't teach his own doctrine. Now, that's a problem for somebody that's a Trinitarian because that's about persons. But Sister Collins, for us oneness people, we know that Jesus in his earthly ministry was submitted to leadership. So unless you're submitted to godly leadership, uh, don't expect that the Lord would bless you in spiritual work. No one is so spiritual that they can go outside the flow of God's authority and be blessed. And again, I'll just say it one more time. Anointing of the Lord doesn't flow sideways. Let me give you a third one. The third one is what I'm going to call a mindset of ministry. And the first part of that would include something like this. I'd call it maybe the road of faith. Jesus says in Matthew chapter 15, verse 14, that the blind can't lead the blind. Why? Because they both end up in a ditch. And I'll just say it again. If you're not a spiritual person of prayer, and like Pastor was saying, if you're not up to speed, then you can't lead other people in a hunger for God if you're not hungry for God yourself. You can't lead people to, into spiritual encounters. Uh, can I be really plain? If you're, if you're a carnal person, because carnality begets carnality, flesh begets flesh. You ready? That's why we have to walk in the spirit so that we don't fulfill the lust of our flesh in our personal life. But also, man, I mean, you go look at Acts chapter eight, where, where the uh, eunuch is headed back uh, and God has to transport the apostle out of the revival in Samaria to catch him in the desert. Why? He's got to say, walk out here, leave that great revival, Philip. Why? Because there's a hungry guy leaving the synagogue with the scroll of Isaiah, and he has no spiritual insight. He said, the, the place that should be teaching him about the truth that he can understand, he has left the church confused because the blind is leading the blind. Right? And so you got to say, Lord, help me to be in this place where if a young kid starts crying in my class, I can put a pause on that and I can lead them to receive the baptism of the Holy Ghost. 
I, I, I was talking to Ryan Thomas. I went down to pick my boy up from Children's Church, and he said, Brother Kilman, he said, I believe Joel spoke in tongues. I, th- I believe he spoke in tongues a little bit when he was praying, but I didn't want to tell him, Brother Healy. He said, I didn't want to tell him. I want him to know himself. And you know what that does for a dad? I have confidence that I can put my kid in any class with that type of leadership, and they're not going to be manipulated. They're actually going to be led to God, and they're going to know themselves what it means to receive uh, the Holy Ghost. And then the second thing I'll talk about in the mindset of uh, ministry is that we can't lose anyone in the shuffle. And that just means to be conscientious. I tell the IBC students this all the time. Like I see Sister Becca back there and she's graduated. And I say, I say Sister Becca, I like, I see you. And I, you know, I'm going to say, hey, I, I know you. Uh, we appreciate you. But I'm not looking, at, looking for Becca when I walk into Calvary Tabernacle. You know, you know who I'm looking for? I'm looking for new people. I'm looking for lost people. I'm looking for people that are is not connected. And by the way, if you do that consciously, if you train yourself over a little bit of time, it won't be long before that's just kind of the way you operate. Now you're going to have to shift gears and you may have to tell students, look, I can talk. I know you want to talk to me for an hour. Come to, come to my office. We'll have coffee. It'll be awesome. But let me look around for new people and you train them uh, uh, to say, uh, I need to be conscientious that no one is going to be lost in the shuffle. Right? And, and, and make sure that's a commitment. And then the, uh, the fourth thing I will say is a commitment. If you're going to be an effective altar worker, it has to begin on Monday, not Sunday. Uh, you got to look at what Jesus said. He told his disciples, look at the fields. They're already white under harvest. And that means you need to walk in with a commitment to say, uh, now we're we going to go out with our family, maybe. Because if there's a hungry soul in the altar, I'm going to stay till they're done. It means uh, the, uh, what Brother Henderson was talking about, that passion, that love to pass that truth has to say everything else is a side issue uh, compared to that. Now, now, what does that mean? Okay, uh, so uh, com- uh, first of all, commitment is a product out of burden. Forgive me, I got that uh, uh, typo on there. Forgive me. Uh, the word of God says it this way, Brother Healy. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. And so what that means is there are certain impulses you have to starve. Uh, I mean, I'm sure many of you know the illustration by Chief Joseph. Uh, when he converted to Christianity, someone asked him, Brother Healy, what is, what is it like to serve God? He said, well, there are two dogs that fight inside of me all the time. There's a white dog and a black dog. And they said, well, which dog wins? He says, it's very simple. The one that I feed the most. So starve out bad habits And make sure that you say, I want to make sure I'm committed to the spiritual vision of the church. All right, let me give you the the fifth thing. What do we mean by committed? Well, first of all, commitment in prayer. And I won't have to spend a lot of time on here. Pastor already did that effectively today. Uh, But that means something like this. If you're going to, now we're not, we're not, I love what uh, Bishop's been saying, uh, Brother Healy. He said, he said we're, we're Pentecostal in experience, but apostolic in doctrine. How many of you are apostolic in doctrine? That means you're going to do the work of God the way the apostles did. And so what that means is something like this. We believe in a word of faith. We believe in a word of knowledge. We believe in a word of wisdom. And, and what we mean by that is that's just a supernatural touch of God beyond our abilities to do something that we can't do in our flesh. And so if you're going to, uh, if you'll forgive me, I, I know there's a lot of, be careful, like when people say they flow. I understand that can be dangerous. A lot of complications today. I'll let pastor deal with that. But what that means is something like this. When you're in the altar, the Lord will direct you what to say. 
He will direct you how to guide a child. He will direct you on what you should do and what you shouldn't do. But you ready? You can't have that kind of communication with God if you're just starting it on Sunday. You already have to have those uh, uh, areas of communication open. So, so how do I make my prayer life stronger? How many have ever wondered that? Well, let me give you a, what I think are a couple of great books. I'll just say one. How about that? I don't want to break your budget. My wife's looking at me. I don't even want to see. I have so many books. Sister Collins is terrible. Uh, I, I think probably some more are coming in the mail. Oh, that's a confession. I apologize in advance, baby doll. The best book I've, re I've read on prayer is by Joy Haney called When You Pray. It will not only talk about the biblical, by the way, you need a biblical view of prayer. That helps you do that with authority. How many of you ever thought, I don't know if I should pray that? Well, if you see it modeled in scripture, all of a sudden it becomes clear that, man, that is a method in the Bible. I'm not doing that in my flesh. And so after that, uh, Sister Haney's book does that, but she also motivates you to pray uh, through testimony and the things that the Lord has done and what the Bible promises. So first of all, I would say prayer is motivated by obedience. The Bible says it this way. The wicked flee when no one pursues, but the righteous are as bold as a lion. That means if you got something between you and God, it's very hard for you. Okay, I know this never happens to anybody else's marriage, and I'm sure I'm the only one in the equation. Hallelujah. But every once in a while, in the 23 years of marriage, we've had some issues. I better leave it alone, Brother Healy. But have you ever been like uh, in, you know, we don't have arguments. Have you ever been in intense fellowship? And all of a sudden you realize you're driving down the road or you're with a friend and you guys have had an argument and you're in the car and it's like really awkward silence. You're like, yeah, let's see what's on the radio. Because <laughs> you got to fill up that silence because you can only be together so long in silence without dealing with the issue. And if there's something between you and God and you're trying to operate with authority in the altar somewhere, you ready? If there's something between you, it's very hard to operate with authority. So, you know, the beauty is not to let yourself slip into condemnation. The, the, the better approach is, is to say, before I walk into this class today, God, you see me in all my flaws and you know me. The psalmist says, you know my frame that I'm dust. I'm trying to walk with you today. I may have blown it in this past week, but I need you to forgive me and help me so that I can be prepared to do the spiritual work today. And if you will do that, I promise you his mercies are new every morning. That's what we all need. And so that obedience, that right, the righteous, uh, what is, okay, well, I don't want to get into too much theology here. Uh, I, I know what people mean when they say we're not perfect people. I know what they mean. They mean never sinned. But the Bible calls all sorts of people perfect. You know what that means? I have nothing left to repent of. How many of you go, oh, thank you, Jesus. That means in the struggling and the striving, I'm accounted righteous. I don't have time to tease that out uh, theologically to show you that biblical prescription, but how many of you sinned before? How many of you sinned since you've been saved? All right, and so what you do is you, you go back. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. You wash up and then you go in and serve. And that's the power uh, of prayer being motivated by obedience. Now, if you're, if you're fighting with God a little bit, it's hard to pray. Second thing is prayer is motivated by humility. Now, what, is it, what do you mean by that, Brother Kilman? Nobody in this room, including yours truly, uh, is able, Sister Wright, to be so spiritual we can move people to God uh, without him. 
There's no way you and, the, you and your flesh can be so powerful in some type of technique that somebody's taught you online to be powerful enough uh, to be a, an effective altar worker. You need to have humility and just say, God, I can't do this without you. How many have ever been like totally intimidated of getting in the altar and praying with people? I have. You ready? And I just learned I can't preach in my flesh. I can't teach in my flesh. I can't do altar work in my flesh. I have to follow what the Bible teaches me to do and then operate in the spirit. And, and I promise you that type of humility saying, God, I can't do this without you is an attitude that allows heaven uh, to work through you. All right. So uh, give me that next slide. Just push me. We got to hurry. God have mercy. You watching the time for me, baby? Okay, good. All right. So I'll just tell you some points to remember. First of all, prayer is learned. That means that there's a great little uh, uh, series uh, by Locklear called uh, All the, the All Series, right? All the men of the Bible, all the women of the Bible. Uh, it has one called All the Prayers of the Bible. And, and that means that as you engage your biblical understanding, you can operate with more authority. I've already said that. But if you just read through the prayers of the Bible, I've heard all sorts of weird stuff. Can I be really candid? This is Kilman, K-I-L-L-M-O-N. Don't quote Brother Carson. This is Kilman. Okay. Now, what does that mean? It means there, I've heard weird things said about prayer, and i just like, I don't know about that. And here's what a biblical understanding of prayer will do. It will give you confidence to operate the right way. It peels aside all of the mystery and allows you to, how many of you know God gave you a Bible on purpose? You're like, Jesus, speak to me. He's like, I gave you 66 books, you know. And that's to help guide us in truth so that we can then operate with power. And then the second thing is remember prayer is answered. Uh, they that hunger and thirst after righteousness shall be filled. Now, what does that mean? It means when you begin to pray, you're going to, you're going to see the Lord begin to act on your behalf. How many of you know it's God's will for people to receive the Holy Ghost? All right, then you should just say, okay, God, that's your will. Help me be in line with you so I can follow the guidance I need uh, and be the facilitator that uh, helps somebody take steps of faith. I'll give you two more points to remember for insights on prayer. I, I remember some good elders telling me this, uh, pray for something definite. What does that mean? It's like, God bless. Well, that's okay. God move, you know. But you know, like Paul says, uh, pray, uh, pray that the word wouldn't be hindered. So one thing I pray for Brother Carson often and uh, Brother Mooney before him is, Lord, when he's preaching, don't let the word be hindered. Why? Because that's a biblical prayer. Pray for conviction to fall on sinners. I pray something like this. God, help every backslider and every sinner to see what you offer in the spirit tonight. Open their eyes so that they can make that step of faith. Rebuke every hindrance of the enemy. See, when you, when you see those prayers, Paul says, I'm being persecuted, but I'm confident. He says to the church, Brother Healy, through your prayers that the Lord is going to turn it to good. Do you know how powerful your prayer is? Paul is saying the agency of the church would help his apostolic ministry. And that's a powerful understanding of prayer. And then, of course, two, second thing, praying, submitting to God's will. We can pray to ask things amiss. That's where we have to work in our own heart where we're worried about tweeting how many people got the Holy Ghost and seeing lives changed. And uh, Jesus, I think it's fascinating, uh, Sister Collins, that Jesus went around healing a bunch of people and he said, don't tell anybody. Of course, they went and told everybody. So they were disobedient to Jesus. 
But what, was, what, was they, what were they doing? They were magnifying his deeds. But Jesus, as a perfect man, was operating in humility. I wish we had time to go to Philippians 2 and talk about how it was in his humility. He came to make of himself no reputation. This is not about you looking powerful. It's about actually seeing lives changed. And if you can operate in that humility and submit to God's will, that it's more about them than it is about me, I promise you the Lord's going to move. All right. Yeah. Yeah. Let's go to six. We'll skip that next slide and go to six. All right. Well, then uh, the next thing I'll say in terms of personal preparation is a commitment in worship. Uh, and that means, man, I, I get worried when people only uh, worship like when they're preaching, right? The only time they ever get in the service is when they're up in the pulpit preaching. Now, we know that, or when they're singing. How about when you're an altar worker? The only time you get engaged in worship, but what you need to do is understand worship is critical. It's vital uh, to the altar worker. Why? Because worship invites God into our lives. We create a context of worship. And we know, how many of you know what God can do in a service? So as you begin to appreciate that and just love God and thank him for what he's going to do, it creates an atmosphere of what we call praise or worship where God dwells in our midst. We don't have time to go to the scripture. I'm sure you guys are aware of that. All right, so um, uh, let's, yeah, my God, how many of this, how much of this should I do, Brother Healy? Let's go to seven. We're going to talk about a Bible intake as a discipline. Uh, number, number seven, there's a, a, one of the first ladies I, well, the, the first lady that I worked with by myself and the Lord uh, filled her with the baptism of the Holy Ghost was right over here. Uh, sweet lady, she was in her late 60s and she came down to the altar and what, you, what we're going to talk about is a commitment to the word of God. And, and God has chosen, right, the foolishness of preaching to save. So as the preaching went forth, she's moved down to the altar. Brother Healy, I walked up to her and I said, you know, uh, have you repented of your sins? And, and she said, yes, I've repented of my sins. I said, well, I try to repent of my sins every day. Uh, so let's repent together. Repentance is very easy. It's saying, God, is, if there's anything I've ever said or anything I've ever thought or anything that I've done that's wrong, I want you to forgive me. So you have to use, because like we say, <laughs> we use terms that are not always great, like, the God's going to fill you with the Shekinah of his presence. And they're like, I don't know what they're talking about. So uh, in altar work, you got to work where you're, they're at. You got to stay simple. So when you say repentance, they may have never heard that word in their life. And so you'd have to say, if I've ever done anything or said anything or thought anything that's wrong. How many of you ever said, done, or thought something that's wrong? That's everybody in the room. Say, I want you to forgive me. If there's anything I need to do or anything I need to embrace that I'm not doing, God, I want, you, I want you to say that to me. I want to live right. That's called repentance. I turn away from sin and to God. Now, I, I, we walk her through that and she just, I said, now you, you pray in your own words and I'll pray and we'll pray together. And I know like, Brother Kilman, that sounds Baptist. No, it's called repentance. So you have to, look, does you no good to take them up there and dunk them in water until they truly repent? So you got to explain, uh, whether it's a, a child's level, you just have to say, you got to love Jesus, right? You got to say, Jesus, I don't want to do anything that's wrong. Jesus, if there's something you want me to do, that's what I want to do. I want to give my whole life to you. And they can get that as simple as a child. 
And so uh, she began to uh, pray and, and repented. And I said, have you been baptized? And she said, yes, I've been baptized. I said, well, and this is where you have to get comfortable. You got to do it kindly. I said, well, a lot of churches baptize in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Uh, but the Bible's clear that there's only one name under heaven, Acts 4.12, given among men whereby we must be saved. That's why in Acts 2, 8, 10, and 19, you can, now see, you should be able to do that. Memorization, Acts 2, Acts 8, Acts 10, Acts 19. And just rehearse that till you get it. 2, 8, 10, 19. 2, 8, 10, 19. And then you can just open up the Bible and go, okay, it's in chapter 2 somewhere. Yep, there it is. And you can walk them through uh, the biblical examples of baptism in Jesus' name. And I said to Vicki, I said, listen, everywhere in the Bible, they were baptized in Jesus' name. And I got all this theological arsenal, all the missiles are ready. And she goes, yeah, I think they baptized me in the, in the Son and the Father and the Spirit. I said, well, the Bible says that we have to be baptized in Jesus' name. I'm ready for the debate. And she goes, okay. I'm like, oh, okay, put all that back down then, you know. <laughs> and, but you ready? You got to be ready to give an answer. And so you got to be able to lead and guide them and commit those things to memory. So that means in your reading of God's word and hearing God's word, uh, then you have to add to that third, the studying of God's word. And that means memorization and pursuing an understanding so that you can lead them. And, uh, and if we are equipped, give me that next slide. Oh, one more. I'm already past it. Terrible. You're going to heaven just for trying to keep up with me today. If we're equipped, we can operate with confidence. Four minutes. Wow. So what does that look like? It's confidence in the word. It means faith in the word. It means boldness in the word. And I promise you, it gets really easy then to lead people to faith. And pastors already talk about fasting, but I'll skip that. Let me just give you one little thing to understand. You got to understand your role in altar work. Every once in a while, you're there as a spiritual person, encouraging them to take a step of faith through worship. But occasionally, you have to take the hat of the intercessor off. You have to put on the hat of the teacher. Because there are obstacles to people taking steps of faith. One of them is this, just belief. He that cometh to God must believe that he is. I wish I had time to tell you the story of the wonderful students. Uh, Sister Webster, pray. I did it again, Tammy, don't kill me. Sister Wright. But the wonderful students trying to pray with an atheist at the altar at one of our live or one of our concerts on the circle. And he said, they're wonderful and kind and crazy. I said, so you're an atheist. Yeah. And so I walked him through the process, the conclusions. You don't believe in right or wrong that, you know, evolutionary theory. And I said, so we, we, shouldn't be, we shouldn't be mean about it. We just take a gun and go out and find every kid with cerebral palsy. We put a gun to the back of their neck and just take those weaknesses out of the gene pool. Wouldn't that be good? He said, yeah, but no, that's horrible. I said, here's your problem. You're denying the fact of evil and even the face of evil, but you can't get away from the feeling of evil. That's because you're created in the image of God. You know right and wrong. And see, he that cometh to God must believe that he is. He said, we need to go have coffee and talk more. You know what that's called? Pre-evangelism. You might have a kid in your class that doesn't even believe in God. You ready? You, he that cometh to God must believe that he is, or that he is a rewarder, like pastor said. They may have an abusive parent at home. And when you say God is father, they don't know what that means. 
So you have to convince them not only that God loves them, but maybe they're overwhelmed with so much guilt, like the young lady that was standing here. And I asked her as she's praying and speaking in tongues, Brother Healy, I, I said, uh, you know, what do you, what do you need from the Lord tonight? Because I'm going to give you that last little thing. What do you need from the Lord tonight? You need to ask that of every person that comes to the altar. Why? Because God gave you ears and a mouth. That's really spiritual. I know. But God expects you to ask, what do you need from God tonight? And, and I was praying with a lady over here. She said, I mean, uh, I think it was Brother Anderson got up and he had preached this incredible salvation message. She's coming and responding, crying. I know she needs the Holy Ghost. I'm ready to go over. I'm like, wait, no, they said ask. And I said, so what do you need from the Lord tonight? And she said, I want my husband to come to church with me. You know what I did? I prayed for her husband to come to church with her. And I didn't use that as a backwards attempt to try to then get her to speak in tongues. Because you got to start where the seeker is. And by the way, her husband did come to church and God filled both of them with the baptism of the Holy Ghost. So start where the seeker is. Ask questions. And then when you ask that question, you can guide them further in their seeking. Right now, I, I'll, I, man, I just want to talk about this all day. But that wrestling, that young lady wrestling with condemnation, Brother Ely. Two wonderful, wonderful, wonderful girls. Uh, one of them, they were praying, praying for her shoulder blades. I don't know why we think that's spiritual. Get, one of you got to get in front. Get over yourself and somebody's got to lead. Nothing wrong with having a team there. And it should be one person guiding. And of course, if Brother Carson steps up or another minister, of course, you're going to step back and yield your place to authority. But I'm watching this girl. Uh, praying her brows furrowed and she's seeking the Holy Ghost. And she's so I walk over and the girls are behind her terrible place. So I just start talking to her, encouraging her because you can see signs, right? That, and you should say, that's right. That's right. That's the spirit of God. You feel okay. You should, that's about Don't, don't try to give them phrases. I'm not against praying in the spirit with them there. I'm just saying, be careful there, right? There's some ethical things there. You want them to receive the baptism of the Holy Ghost, not parrot what you're saying. And so I, I'm sitting there and she, I begin to pray with her. She begins to speak in tongues, but brother, heal your brows still burrowed. And I'm like, what is going on? And so we walk away and uh, the girls walk away and I go pray with some other people because she's speaking in tongues. Or I come back and her eyes are closed, her brows still furrowed. And I walk up and I said, uh, uh, did you receive what you needed tonight? And she said, I hope so. I said, well, what did you need? She said, forgiveness. She's speaking in tongues. And she's battling a lie of the enemy that God won't forgive her. So you just, you know what I, I, so I know what the scripture says. I says, the Bible says, Sister Collins said, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. I said, do you believe that? She says, yes. I said, that verse is as true as Acts 2.38. So did you repent of your sins? Yes. Did you ask God to forgive you? Yes. Did he forgive you? I hope so. You know what I did? I brought that sword of the spirit back against that lie of the enemy working in her mind again. I'm going to tear down that stronghold of thinking so that she can embrace what God did for her in the altar. And as she said, I said, no, 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 no. Listen, the only place you'll see the picture of God running in the Bible is when he's pictured as the, as the father running out to meet the prodigal son. And I said, now I'm going to pray for you again. And this is what the Bible says about forgiveness. Lift your hands. And I pray for her. And she began to speak in tongues. And you know how it is when you bottle up worship, right? You about kill six people getting out of the pew. She went a little crazy, which was fabulous. And you know what you're doing? You're doing spiritual warfare. 
When you bring the truth to bear and help a child to understand that God loves them and God wants them to have the Holy Ghost more than they want it. He died so they could have it. And having the, the, the ability to deal with things like unforgiveness or the attitude of not tonight. I told one of my wonderful friends I, I grew up with, Adam Causey, he was seeking the Holy Ghost. And uh, some kids were praying in the altar before youth camp. Brother Healy, kids were already praying through on Sunday night. I was in street clothes, so I was being respectful. I'm going to stay in the back. But then they went over and they started. I'm like, it's fair game now. I'm going up. And so we're praying with kids. And this young lady was receiving the Holy Ghost. And I looked at Adam and I said, man, in the Holy Ghost, great. He said, I guess so. I'm like, wait, because it just didn't resonate. And now this was out of the spirit. I don't normally talk to people like this. It was just something the Lord did. Uh, that's why your preparation matters. And it just came out of, out of my mouth before I could even think about how it was going to affect him. I said, well, don't you have the Holy Ghost? He said, no. I said, well, what are you praying with her for? Get it yourself. And I turned and walked away. I don't even really remember saying that to him. But he went home that night. He was furious. He told his mom, I'm getting the Holy Ghost uh, this year at camp. He stood up to testify that Monday night uh, or Monday uh, morning service. And the Lord filled him with the Holy Ghost. Why? Because he got over the attitude of not tonight. So sometimes it's just a hunger issue. Sometimes it's an unrepentant issue. And the more you start dealing with them and talking with them, Jesus says, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh. Pay attention to what they say. And the Lord can help you discern what's going on and you can remove obstacles so that they can receive the baptism of the Holy Ghost. Prepare yourself and then the Lord will use you to do the work.